0: Would you read along with me, please, as we take a look at it, starting in verse 1? I tell you the truth in Christ, I am not lying. My conscience also bearing witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption the glory, the covenants, and the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promise. Of whom are the fathers, and from whom according to the flesh Christ came, who is over all the eternally blessed God. Amen. But it is not that the word of God is taken, it is not that the word of God has taken no effect. For they are not all Israel who are Israel, or of Israel. Nor are they all children, because they were all the seed of Abraham. But... In Isaac, your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time, I will come and Sarah will have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac, for the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God, according to election, might stand. Not of works, but of him who calls. It was said of her, the older shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. Well, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Well, certainly not. For he says of Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So then it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but it is of God who shows mercy. But the Scripture says to Pharaoh, or for the Scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up that I may show my power in you and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Therefore he has mercy on whom he wills and whom he wills he hardens. Now you will say to me, Then why then does he still find fault? But who has resisted his will? Well, indeed, O oh man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, Why have you made me like this? Does not the power have I'm sorry, does not the potter have power over the clay? From the same lump to make one vessel for honor and the other for another for dishonor? What if God wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long-suffering, the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory for the vessels of mercy which he had prepared beforehand for glory. Even us, whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles, As as it says also in Hosea, I will call them my people who are not my people, and her beloved who was not beloved, And it shall come to pass, in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, that they shall be called sons of the living God. Now Isaiah also cries out concerning Israel. Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, the remnant shall be saved. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because the Lord will make a short work upon the earth. And as Isaiah said before, Unless the Lord of Shabbat, or Sabbath, has left us a seed, he would have become like, we would have become like Sodom. We would have been made like a Gomorrah. Well, what shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness had attained to the righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. But Israel, pursuing the law of rightness or righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Well, why? Because they did not seek it by faith. But as it were, by the works of the law, For they stumbled at the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense, and whoever believes on Him will not be put to shame. Now before I even begin to teach this, I would say as I would any week, please do not just believe me. Don't assume it's true because I say so. Don't assume it's true just because I'm called Pastor Tony. Search the Scriptures. Let the Bible always have the final say. But you can bet if I say that about what I teach, I would say that about what anyone teaches. I've always been the kind of person that asks, why do we do that? Is that scriptural or is that just tradition because it's tradition we do it because we just do it? Now follow me on this. One day, if you call yourself a Christian... One day, somewhere down the line, someone presented to you Jesus. It's a very simple message. One of the reasons why people find it disdainable isn't because it's difficult, but because it's simple. And the message is this. That we as guilty people who have incurred shame have a right to pay for our crimes every evil thought or intention, practice or deed. But God in His infinite love for us sent His only begotten Son, Jesus the Christ, to die on the cross as Scripture had promised for thousands of years beforehand. Tempted in every way yet without sin, God in the flesh who made the choice to take your and my shame filth, crimes, guilt, and to suffer a most egregious, horrible, painful death, just so that your crimes could be punished without you having to be punished for them. What amazing love is that. And in that amazing love, how do we know it was acceptable? How do we know it was enough? God had also promised there was one proof that made Him different from anyone else who walked on two legs. And that is that He would not only take the death, but then He would rise from the dead three days later. And then offer us not just forgiveness, but a brand new life. That is the simple message, not only of the cross, but of the empty tomb. And if you call yourself a Christian, I will assume when someone said, would you like to accept that gift of Jesus, the cross as payment for your sins, the empty tomb as proof that God wants to make you a new creation, to give you new life, that I assume you said yes. Jesus be my Savior, and Jesus be my Lord and then the romance began a year and a half you've been married a year and 4 months a year and 4 months ago landon and rachel stood at the altar and said i do now before that point there had been interaction there had been a drawing Landon the Pursuer, Rachel the Pursued. But for her to call herself his wife, she was put in a crisis. Greek word, all the words come from Greek words, crisis. It just means change, a place where change has to happen. Landon didn't just wake up one day and say, call Rachel on the phone, hey Rachel, I just decided we're married. He gave her a choice, and in that choice, I guess you know the answer, since she's wearing his ring and they're arm-in-arm, she said yes, and though there was a bit of a romance before that, it really launched at the ideal, because at that point, what became clear is, there was a commitment for the rest of your life, and they entered into a covenant together. There is a moment where you say yes to Jesus. And before that, there is a drawing and a questioning. Please, will you take my love? Not just get out of hell free card, but I want to be your Lord and your life and your light and your love. Please let me be that. And you fight it and you try to chase after everything that the world offers, which basically are all the things that can only be found in Jesus. And, and you think, yeah, but I still want to hold on to this and I still want to hold on to that. And of course, that's most of the reason why people don't want to accept Jesus is because they don't want to give up what they have because they're convinced it would be a step down to trade what they have for who Jesus is. Nothing can be further from the truth. Is that true, Christians? Man, my life has never been so good. But then you said yes to Jesus. And if you said yes to Jesus, you are His and the romance began. And if you remember in the beginning, it was you and Jesus. And it was Jesus and you. And it was you and Jesus. And you'd open up the Bible and guess what was there? You and Jesus. When you prayed, guess what it was? It was you and Jesus. And you drove people mental. Especially those who want to play the sort of political game but not have the relationship. Because what you were doing is you were blowing their cover. You were proving that what they had was a facade. You walked into a sound stage and said, this isn't a city. These are things that were drawn up. They're only a half inch thick. This isn't a real thing. And it was all about you and Jesus. And people go, oh, shut up about you and Jesus. I'm Christian. Well, funny, that should excite you, you know. And you say, can I pray for you? And you go, no, don't pray for me. And you think, wow, that's neat. Unfortunately, in Scripture proves it, there will always be those in the camp that are busy trying to convert the saved. And that seems so crazy to me. For instance, Acts 15.24. Since we heard that there were some who went out and have troubled us, unsettling your soul, saying, you must be circumcised and keep the law. There are some that are going to say, come join our legal trip. Are you really Christian? I don't know. Your hair's still a little long. Girls, you're, you're not all wearing dresses. I'm not sure about that. Did you go to the cinema? No, 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 please understand. There is another side to this. But there are those that basically what they have done is they flipped the gift of Jesus Christ and made it all about your works again. And the funny thing is I don't find that the people who normally do that go out to the lost at all. Because to be honest, the lost won't listen. Imagine trying to walk into a bar and just tell everyone, stop drinking. You might get beat up. I'm going to trade it for what? For not drinking. That doesn't work so well. I'll tell you why I don't drink. Because I don't need to. Because I don't want to. Because I want to be sober and the Bible calls me to be. I'll be honest. Because why in the world would I, I want to be awake for every moment of this? And if you've ever been in love, that should make sense to you. It's like, I don't even want to sleep. I just want to experience more of this amazing trip. Oh, but there's other people in the camp too. First Corinthians 12-14 through 14 makes clear another camp. And that is, well, are you filled with the Spirit we are, the same way we are? Oh, I don't know. If you don't speak in tongues, are you really saved? If you don't levitate and bark and cluck and find the angel feathers and make sure you sweat angel oil, or I mean, it's amazing what happens. You know, it's like whatever it is. Now, please understand something. It makes a mockery of a genuine experience. I genuinely believe that. You have a group of people that are desperate for an encounter with God. I genuinely, for the best benefit of the dot, I genuinely believe that. And what happens, though, is we're not, we're we're looking and we're not telling God what it is. We're kind of looking around, waiting to see what the first thing is. And if we were waiting 10 days for the Holy Spirit to fall on us like we saw in Acts, I think we'd probably think anything was at the beginning until we saw what the real deal was. But what happens, I mean, could a person be so moved because of God's forgiveness that they would be brought to tears? The answer, of course, is duh. But if you're kind of busy going, I need a move of the Spirit and someone next to you starts crying and you go, there's the move of the Spirit. I need to cry too. Do you see where the problem is? We're looking here instead of there. And you know what happens in those environments and I'm not saying in all of them, but what can happen is then we have to outcry the person next to us. So this person's kind of tears are streaming on the face. This person starts to... (laughs) And the person next to them, it's like by the time you get down to the end of the row, they're beating their breasts. And you just like, and people walk in and go, "What in the world's going on?" And I go, "That's just the Holy Spirit." And you go, "Really, really? I don't want any." Versus what we see clearly in scripture is that the primary role of the Holy Spirit is the catalyst of intimacy between us and God. It's just that simple. And I tell you what, the reason I say it makes a mockery is that first person that genuinely experienced God and was so overwhelmed by that starts to question whether it was a real move or not because of what's happening around them. And you know what happens the next day, and this is the sad part, is with so much counseling, you hear people say, I just don't feel saved anymore. Hey, there's, if you're married, I know, you know, there are days where you may not feel as married, you know. I mean, it isn't like you woke up and they made you breakfast in bed and, you know, the whole thing was snuggling for three hours while you watched a senseless girl flick or whatever. And, you know, I'm sorry, I mean, whatever, a very important movie or whatever. And, uh, but you know, it's like some days it's like you're, you're, you're busy about your thing, but it's, it's not like the ring became any less evident and it wasn't like you stopped loving the person or any of that. You're still married, even if you don't feel it. But there are those that will try to say, okay, now that you're saved, you need to come to our barking class or you need to come to our, whatever, our yelling class. I, I ran into someone as of recent and Iowa. It frightened me. And I, I'm very seldomly frightened over things. Um, where they were saying, you know, we've got, man, we just let it happen in our church. I mean, you know, we've got the banners, and we've got, and I'm like, that's cool. Hey, if you want to wave your banner or carry your flag, praise the Lord, you know, whatever. I would Just don't get in the way of someone else. Just don't stop someone else from just encountering the Lord. But they're like, and there's this guy, and he's like a martial artist, and he brings his sword. I kid you, and I was like, I was... I was frozen. I was like, "Uh, what? And he's like, yeah. And when the music starts, he just goes for it. And I'm thinking, goes for it where? In front of people, with people, near people? Is he security? Is he, anyways, you get the idea. Forgive me. Let me get a couple more. And I want to get into our text, but please, I'm just kind of lining up for it. Uh, Here's another one, by the way. There's the group that's like, are you truly free like us? You know, the liberal trip. We have the legal trip where it's like, we're, we're where the right Christians are. And then the spirit-filled guys, and please understand, it makes a mockery of what it really means to be spirit-filled. And it's like, where the, we're, like we're where the mighty Christians are. We're going to go demon hunting. That's what we're going to do tonight. Funny, I'd rather go evangelize. Anyway, um, and then there's the group that's like, look, you know, what? we're where the free, where we're the, where the real up, up-to-date Christians are. We're the new guys. And it's like, you know, everything's about freedom. And then you read the book of Titus and you realize, well, there's a lot of difference between that. But then there's another group, and this brings us to our point in this. And it always seems to be a group that seems to pervade well into the days of the Bible when it was being written as is today. And that's where we're we're where the smart Christians are oh, those mighty Christians, that's the Pentecostal church. Or, or you know, oh, the, you know, the free Christians, that's over there at the liberal church. Or, oh, you know, the really, the right Christians, they're over there at the, you know, the, the Orthodox, or they're over there at the whatever church where, you know, everyone's this. But we're where the smart Christians are. Because we hold to this one doctrine, or we hold to this special secret talk here, special whatever. And what happens is, you get this, and I, I get—you gets to this point where people look at you, and, and it, the best is that you're an imbecile. And the worst is you're probably not saved if you, unless you agree with them. And when that becomes the case, did you notice, you know what happens in every one of those cases? is It stops being about you and Jesus. And you're a young Christian and you're excited about Jesus and someone goes, wait a minute, wait a minute, are you part of our club? Are you jumping in or click? Are you whatever? And you're like, I really don't know. <clears throat> and you know, here's the funny part. If someone comes in and they start playing this game with you, now when you got saved, you know what you did is you started telling people because they couldn't help but notice that you're a different person. When you were mean and you were nasty you were grumpy and you were prickly you were basically a cactus that walked around and people were like hey hey, hey, okay right and then you turn around and you became like a plush toy right and people look and they go like well what's that about and you know what you were too naive to do it wrong can I say it that way so you know what you did is you went well uh, it's Jesus and his name came out of your mouth and it was a very easy thing to say you're like wow And it really didn't matter if that person was Muslim, if that person was, whatever, old or young, a drug addict or or a businessman or whatever. It didn't really matter. Your answer was going to be the same. This is Jesus. And you go, okay. And then someone says, "Well, well, have you taken our six apologetic classes on how to confront the Muslim? No, I haven't. You go, wow, maybe I need to do that and I need to study this culture and I need to do this. And what happened is it got so complicated, you stopped sharing. What was interesting is that people were getting saved back when you were just saying Jesus because, you know what, you were like the guy that said, you know, all I know is I was blind and now I could see. And you know what, you had that answer because you knew that answer. All I know is I was a jerk and I'm not as much of a jerk as I used to be. I, and honestly, usually the one thing that I commonly tell people is I hated people. I hated them. And I don't. I'm the opposite. I love people. I'm the first guy to give you a hug. So if, you, you know, if you're the kind that doesn't like that, stay clear for me. I just want to warn you now. Don't worry. I'll hug you all the same. And, and the, the point of it is this, is that you get into this place where all of this stuff diverts and then what happens is you forget that it's supposed to just be about you and Jesus. And then and, and we forget these texts because if we read the Bible, we'll realize all that stuff becomes so foolish. Because in Mark, for instance, in Mark 10.15 or in Luke 18.17, um, it tells us that whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child, you won't even enter it. It doesn't say whoever doesn't you know, read all of C.S. Lewis's books and quote them. It doesn't say whoever's not taking this or has a Bible degree or whatever. Now, look, at I'm not saying that studying isn't great. And if you're the kind that likes to read, go for it. Have fun. But please don't let it interfere with the whole thing. It's just about you and Jesus. Because if it gets in the way of that, even a good thing isn't good anymore. You could overdose on water. Did you know that? Okay. So let me ask you. I mean, those of you who are calling yourselves Christians... The rest, I'll give you that chance to say yes if you'd like. I won't, well, even if you don't like, I'm going to give you that chance. Is there still that childlike wonder? Because Jesus, by the way, will actually tell us by the, t- by the time we get to Matthew 18.4, he'll say, that, you know what, those that actually have that childlike wonder, whoever humbles himself like a little child, will actually be greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Not the one who's learned the most, who's become the most brilliant, who can out-argue the atheist. You know, the atheist out there loves to argue with people who think that they know they're right. And they might be right in all of their facts. The thing that they have a real problem with is people who have actually been changed and really are just in love with God. Because, to be honest, that drives them mental. How do you deal with those people? And this is what I know about God. In 2 Peter 3.9, it says that the Lord is not slack, like some count slackness. In other words, he's not a slacker. But he's patient, not wanting any, please listen, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. In other words, if you were to ask God, if you could have your way, what would you do? What would you have? He says, first and foremost, that every person would repent and get saved. If you don't believe me, check for yourself, First Timothy 2.4, where it says that God desires, and I'm quoting, who desires all men to be saved. Now, I don't know about you. You don't have to be brilliant, a Bible scholar, to read that verse and go, if you read that verse, what would you conclude? God desires all men to be saved. In the Greek, the word for all simply means all. How would that help you? Well, all kinds of men, all men. It doesn't say all types. It says all men. That's what he desires. But, unfortunately, God's not going to get his way. In Ezekiel thirty three eleven, God says, as the Lord lives, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn and live. That's what God rather takes delight in. Now, if you've not said yes to Jesus, please understand tonight, as we read now, this, and we go through Romans 9, my simple question to you is, what's it going to take? What is it going to take for you to say yes? Because you know what he did? He did something really wacky. He brought you into an Anglican church just on the northern lip of Camden to hear an American guy tell you about Romans 9. Do you find that a little weird? I do. I think it's awesome. Because, you know, that's a word I use. Awesome. Now read it with me. Romans 9, it says, look at the first five verses. I'll tell you the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My spirit, or my conscience, I'm sorry, also bearing witness in the Holy Spirit, that I have, and notice these terms, great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. This is a guy that is torn up. We used to say, tore up from the floor up. Over what? And notice the term continual grief. This isn't a guy that goes, you know, when I think about it, it bothers me? There's a part of Paul that just can't get past this fact. It bothers him all the time When was the last time anything bothered you all the time and this is what it is i really wish that my jewish family would get would get saved i really wish that Because man and then he goes and he goes look at the depth of the robbery that these people are doing to themselves because let me tell you what they are they're my countrymen they're called israelites to them pertain the adoption the glory The covenants, the giving of the law, the services, the promises, the fathers, and even Jesus came from this lineage. Do you see how much stuff they are robbing themselves of because they haven't said yes? Now what about you? Have you any idea? I wouldn't have known before I said yes to Jesus what I was going to rob myself of if I didn't. But I can tell you, if I could do one of those old Bill and Ted things, pop up into the, you know, into the phone booth and get back to where I was before and tell myself, I would have said, Man, say yes as quick as you can. Because this ride is the best there is. Because listen to these people. They have the past. In the past, they have all of these covenants and the law, and they have in the future they have all these promises. God has all of these amazing things, and here's the point: God promised the nation of Israel that He was going to raise them up and He was going to use them. He was going to use them to change the world. There's the problem, and so now Paul is confronted, the guy who's writing this book, he's confronted with a real natural problem. And here's the problem: if God made this promise, why doesn't it look like it's coming to pass? I kind of get a, I mean, if God's like, I'm going to raise you up and you're going to be a light to the whole world and everyone's going to come in and they're all going to be blessed by you. I, I don't really see that. And so really what's on trial here, to be honest, is the faithfulness of God's promises. Does that make sense? That's what's really being laid out here. Because if it doesn't, listen, and listen, listen, if it doesn't really look like the promise is coming to pass, does it really mean that the promise isn't coming to pass? Because some of the information I'm gathering, the data I'm gathering about the circumstances around me, really appear to be opposite of this promise at the moment. I mean, imagine reading this a hundred years ago, because a hundred years ago, Israel wasn't a nation for over a thousand years. Think about that. I mean, do you know what we do, like we always do? We try to help God out, you know, and you ever notice how that never turns out well? You know, we said, it was, well, we've decided, we've decided we are Israel. Well, funny, it's interesting, because when people say stuff like that, they'll take all of the promises that say God says, I'll give you the land, but they won't take any of the punishments. Have you noticed that? It's like, I'll claim all his promises, but God says, if you do this wrong, you know, you step outside of my will. This is what I'm going to, oh, no, no, that pertains to the old Israel. We only take the good parts, like God's a salad bar, you know. No, follow me on this. What we have then in the rest of the chapter really is God just showing that he really knows how to fulfill his promise. Now let me ask you, what promises has God put in your life? Before we even dive into this part now, think about what he's promised. The deliverances that he's promised. Think about how he's promised to grow you and make you more like him. Think about those promises and you think, well, right now, circumstantially, they don't really look like. That's going to happen? It's been 39 years and I've been walking around with sheep in the sand. I don't get how you're going to use me. It's been 24 years. I'm 99. I'm waiting for a baby here. Things really don't look like the promise is coming to pass. And have you learned by now, God really has never been on our schedule? I mean, think about it. If God's like, here's what I want to do. And imagine if God were to, do, to be as foolish, and praise God he's not, to say, here's what I want to do. You tell me when you want me to do it. If it was anything that involved a blessing, it will be within the next 15 minutes. And if it was anything that involved correction, it will be years from now. Let's be honest. But if the correction was necessary for the blessing, we'd say, I'm not really sure how good is the blessing. Does that make any sense? That's kind of like, okay, I, do I really want to go into the dentist? I need the filling. God will make your teeth miserable enough till you finally go in. I think that's one of the reasons why women wait 40 weeks. By the way, you notice it's 40 again, 40 weeks before they, get, um, to they have their baby. God makes them so miserable, they'll finally actually brave having the baby. You know, five months into it, I'm scared to death. The last thing I want to do is have this baby right now. I'm scared to death of it. And finally you're like, get this thing out of me. I'm speaking from my wife's perspective. So verse 6. So so grab a hold of whatever those promises are that you know God's promised you and read this with me. It's not that the word of God has taken no effect. What God promised was that he was going to raise up Israel. But see, not everybody who claims to be Israel is really Israel. Stop before you go any farther. Please don't miss this. Not everybody who claims to be anything is what they say they are. Have you learned that yet? are you more foolish? Because it's amazing how quickly people will say that about Christians. They'll say, oh, I'm way too smart for that, any other area. But he says he's a Christian. Oh, why would I want to be among Christians? That guy says he's a Christian. He's on TV. Like, do you really think that there's somebody out there that's like really the honest judge on earth that kind of goes, no, you're not Christian, I'm sorry. The Pope doesn't agree with you. You're going to have to leave. I mean, think about it. Anyone could set up shop. He could dance around with his monkeys and his, his snakes or whatever and do his crazy little thing and throw oil at people and do whatever he wants to do. And you we go, well, that's the new Christian show. And someone goes, look, at well, that guy's Christian. Why would I want to do that? I go, well, what makes them Christian? Because they say they are. Well, funny, I'm Santa Claus. You better believe it because I said I am. Or better yet, I'm the tax man. You better give me your taxes. And that, Here's the point of it is that he goes, look, at, before we actually take a look at this promise, not everybody who claims to be is really a part of this. And there's two very important parts of it. Here's the first of them. Is that, well, this Abraham, he had a couple children, but of the two children he had, one was a work of the flesh, and the other was a part of the promise. The promise took place when it was impossible. The work of the flesh took place when it was just difficult. Listen to that again. The part of the flesh took place when it was just difficult, but the, prom- but the, uh, the miracle took place you know, the promise took place when it was impossible. There's the point of it. And so what you have is somebody that you tried to help, you know, a child that was born because you tried to help God out, and then something that took place because only God could do it. And God says, this one that was a child of promise, that's the one that I'm, I'm claiming on this. So there were already two people that were children of Abraham. But, and by the way, Abraham will have a lot more kids, if you actually read, through a woman named Keturah after his wife dies, um, who is his new wife, I don't know. And in all of that, please follow me on this, is that it isn't just because you say, well, I'm from the bloodline of Abraham, so therefore I must be saved. God's like, look it, just this whole family over here was, but they weren't part of this promise. And that was the whole point of that. And he goes, but not only that, here's something else I did beside that, because it has to be by my promise. And notice, by the way, in that, and it's important to note that not everyone who says they're not every human being is a child of God. That's what the Bible says here. Those that accept and accept the promise of God, every human being is a someone loved by God and wanted by God, and yet in that, unless they accept God's adoption, they're living the life as an orphan by choice. Now you could say, well, what about me? I don't I don't really like that. Well, you're here and you have the choice tonight. Don't walk out if you're angry at God when He offered to adopt you and you said no. How is He the meanie? So please, it says here that in verse nine. God has one other thing. He says, look, it it took a promise, and the promise was this. At the time when I say so, Sarah's going to have her child. Now please don't miss that. God made the promise. He knows how to make it come to pass. There is the point of it. So whatever God has promised you, and I mean honestly promised you, it's going to come to pass because He who promised you is faithful. He's not fickle. He's not foolish. He's faithful. So listen. Verse 10, And not only this, but when Rebecca had also conceived of Father Isaac, he says, even within the children that were born later on, actually as this man has a son and that man has a son. He says, even within the two of them, God knew which one of them he wanted to even in charge. He says, of the two of them, the younger one, contrary to culture, was going to be the one in charge. And that's a little strange. And God says, Well, why is it that? because that's the way I want to work it out to make this happen? Remember, the whole point of this is that God's going to raise up Israel. And yet, the funniest part about it, you look at these two kids, and the, you know, the first one comes out red and hairy, and he's like, ah, ah, which has got to be really strange when a baby's born covered in hair. I don't know about you, but that's. I don't even think about how hard that must have been to, have to birth the child. But then, you know, after that comes out this other one who's like not. He's the mama's boy. And interesting, God says, but that's the one I picked for this. For this particular role, that's the one I picked. It isn't like, look, I want to send that one to hell. It's like, this one I picked because I'm going to raise him up because the younger one is actually going to be the one in charge. Now, you read, start reading and you go, how in the world is he going to be in charge? And then you see how God starts to put this thing together. And the whole point of it is, God knows who to raise up and God knows who to set down to make his promises come to pass. It's part of his tools. And here's the crazy thing. If we use this, it's like, you know, I've been in prayer for ten years, and all I want is my mom saved. And my heart is broken over it. Paul would be able to say, I know how you feel. And you, and you just say that the Lord has actually said, you know what? I am going to save your mother. You go, alright. Awesome. And then you wait for, the next, or for that night for your mother to tell you, and she doesn't. God didn't say He was going to save her that night. He just said He was going to. And you go, Lord, well do whatever it takes to save my mother. And God goes, okay. And then you get sick. You're like, God, why am I sick? And God says, because you want your mom saved. And you're like, Phew. but you don't listen to that. And then your mom starts going through some really rough times. She gets fired at work. Some crazy guy that doesn't seem to know anything is her boss now and she's so smart and he's so dumb right Ah, it's driving her crazy and you kind of look at this and you try to to appease her and you try to make her feel better and God goes look at this is all tools that I'm using because I promised you that your mom's going to get saved and I know she's going to get saved but the route it's going to take is a rough one because most of us don't come to Christ in the very best of our moments and the crazy part about that is the things that God promises that sometimes the route to that thing is so rough that if He just said, look at, here's what I want to give you, here's the route for it, we would have said no because we don't like the route or the route. And yet, in all that, please, in this, God says, "Look at, I know how to raise up the right people and put down the other people to make this happen." And, and please understand, that's governments, because go- whether we like it or not, governments are still ordained by God. Even the craziest of them. And you go, "Well, that's not st- so." You should know how wicked our governments are. You go, "Yeah, yeah," but he's writing them the time when the Romans ruled, when Nero was on the throne. So don't tell me about that. God know how. God's know how. God. Let's try this again. God knows how to raise up the right guys, even if they're lunatics, just to get his job done. Because what he really wants more than anything, don't miss this, what he really wants more than anything is you. That's what he wants. And you know the problem is? To get us, we will not give him our heart as a whole. So it's going to have to come in pieces, and that's not fun. So I hold on to things and I think this is really cool. And God says, but it's, it's against me. I will Sometimes what the Lord may do is strengthen your conviction to show you how dumb that is. And sometimes he could just take away the taste and you're like, you know what? Actually, that's just dumb before I get in it. But here's the crazy thing. Because God plays for keeps. He knows because he's not just sovereign. He's smart. He knows how to turn up the heat when necessary or stick you in the freezer. He knows how to get what he needs. And this is what He needs. This is what He wants is you. And though not everybody will get saved, the bottom line is you are going to or you are. And if that's the case, every moment you fight Him just allows God to take out another one of His resources to get you to the place where you need to be to say yes. Think about that for a second. So as it's written Verse 13, it says, Jacob I've loved, and Esau, said, wait a minute, has God hated someone? Well, for what it's worth, the word means to prefer against. It also definitely means a feeling or an intense disdain. But please understand, this was not written before these children were born. This was written in Malachi, which is the last book of the Bible. And by that time, Esau, understand, was not a person. It was a whole race of people that were enemies of Israel. And when God writes this book of Malachi, and it's a beautiful book, he plays this parapathetic with people that seem really snippy at him. And what he says is, look, this is what I'm going to say, and I already know what you're going to say in return. You're going to say, well, how is that? Like, he's, like basically, like, the nation of Israel is like a teenager, if that makes any sense. You know, I'm going to say, you're late. And you're going to say, how am I late? So before you even want to play this game, I'm going to answer it for you. And God's like, you've robbed me. And it's like funny, some churches are like, that's like their favorite text. You've robbed me. How have you robbed me? Because you haven't given me your tithes. It's funny, they could put that on a box. I think that's crazy. Or in the basket they pass around. And I don't want to pick on other people. Please understand, in this, what God's saying is, look at you're so busy holding onto your stuff, you think that somehow I should just give you more, but you don't want to give me anything. I don't even have your heart. It's like, I don't need your money, but if your money's in the way, I want you to give it away. I, I don't want it in between us. That's the point of it. And ladies, you should know this by now, one of the truest, one of the signs that you see that a man really is into is that his wallet comes out. I mean, I'm not saying that's the only sign by any means, but strange is that, how that works out. Please, please, in that God says, you know I love you, and I know what you're going to say, how have I loved you? And so I'll tell you how I've loved you. I have loved you, and I've made your enemies my enemies. That's the whole point of it. Because if these guys want to take you down, I'm going to stand against them. But isn't that one of the things that clearly proves my love for you? So then what do you say? Notice it isn't that I will judge whoever I want to judge, I'll hate whoever I want to hate, I'll condemn whoever I want to condemn. Verse 14 and 15. It says, well, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? No. God says, I'll have mercy on whoever I want. I'll have a compassion on whoever I want. Understand the issue is that people are going, why are you actually not liking them? They're saying, how could you possibly want the Gentile? Now let me ask you, is there anyone in here who knows you are 100% Jewish? Raise your hand. What that means is, is that this pertains to you. Because there's a group of people that actually believe that you were created to fuel hell. And God says, look it, I can have compassion on whoever I want. Why could you, how could you be upset that I love someone too? That I love more people? Like, well, I just want to be the only group of people that God loves. God's like, why would you want a God that only loves your group? Why would you want that? So then, it's never going to be about your performance. It's going to be about God who shows his mercy. Did you even realize? And here's where it gets really fun. Verse 17. Because what he says is, It doesn't just take the believer. God could use the unbeliever just as much. He could take a guy like Pharaoh who he knows is never going to say yes to him and he could raise up a guy like that. Well, why would he do that? I'll tell you why he could do that. He will do that because he's going to get the most bang for buck for him. And raising up a guy like that will make other people cry out. Listen, sometimes God will raise up somebody that's mean and nasty just so that you'll cry out to him. Because you think you're all that until you realize you're not all that. As we round this, it says, Then the Lord can have mercy... And the Lord can harden. By the way, another of these terms are permanent. What we see here are these are temporary terms, at least in the, in the verb tenses. In other words, look at I could be there, and I understand. If you're a parent, you, this has got to make sense to you. What this means is there are moments where you realize, you know what? This isn't a moment to punish. This is a moment to step back and let you see what's going to happen when you make this choice. And there are other times where you have to bring the hammer down. And he goes, look at those are your resources to help bring that child to a better behavior. And there are times where it's like, you know what? That's a dumb choice, but I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to let you make that choice. I'm going to let you pay for that one yourself. I'm going to show you mercy. I'm not going to punish you myself, because you're going to punish yourself enough by doing this. And there are other times where you're just like, you know what? No, I'm not even going to let you make that choice. I'm going to step in right now. And, 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 and that's kind of the idea here, that what God's showing. And there are times like, you know what? You want to do that? Go ahead. But in that we read this, and don't miss this, verses twenty-two and twenty-three. If God wanted to show his wrath and to make known his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath. And notice the word prepared there. Look at verse 23. That's about those that are for destruction. Verse 23 says he had prepared beforehand for glory. Do you see the difference? Those that are going to destruction were prepared those that were going to glory were prepared beforehand. Well, what does it mean to prepare? Well, the word there is katartizo, and katartizo simply means to make complete, to let them run their course. It's simply what it means. God in His infinite love, please hear me, God in His infinite love will endure people to let them, listen, listen, let them run their race, let them run their course to their own destruction because in that, some people in their destruction will actually be a warning for other people to turn to Christ. Is God mean for doing that? No, as a matter of fact, if somebody wants to run to their destruction, sometimes they'll jump in your way. But if He will never repent, He's going to use you anyways as an example for others. But there are others and notice it. It says here that to fix up in advance is the word that we have here, and that's the word for prepared beforehand. And in this case, we've understand when God even says in Matthew 25, He says, go to the kingdom prepared before you, before the foundation of the world. When He talks to the sheep that are His own, He's like, look at it. I prepared this before you were ever made. But when he talks to those that are sent to darkness, he says, go to the place prepared for the devil and his angels. It's this like, and imagine the heart of God that looks at an individual who is like, I want you, I want you, I want you. And they're going, no, 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 I don't want any of this. I don't want anything to do with this. Don't give me any of this. And God just say, look, I didn't build hell for you. It's not for you. You can go there on your own, but it's over my dead body. And I'll even rise as you try to step over it. I love you that much. I didn't make this for you. Don't go there. That's the heart of God. And he goes in the last few verses in this then. He says, this is just consistent with scripture. Hosea said, I know how to make people that are my people that you don't even think are your people. God's going to do it short. And in the last few verses, 30 to 33. God says, look it, so what's the deal? How come the Gentiles are getting saved and the Israelites aren't right now? That's the point of this. Because it's all down to one thing, and that's faith. They won't trust because they're so busy doing it by their works. Now, please hear me. Because by the time you get to the last verse here, this chapter ends, notice, by the way, to call to make a choice. And it's from Isaiah 6.14 and 28.16, or 8.14 and 28.16. Where he says, look at it, and whoever believes on him will never be put to shame. And believes is a conscious choice. If you know the verb tenses, it's active. It means you make the choice to believe. Believe isn't thrust upon you. You've got faith and you can choose it to spend it somewhere. It's like you have your debit card. That's your faith. Every time you read the word because it says faith comes by hearing and not the word of God, you get more deposited on that card. But the issue is where you spend it according to the Gospel of Luke, when this, the guys are in the storm, Jesus turns to him and says, where's your faith? In other words, where have you been spending it? Spending it on Peter because he's a fisherman? Well, Peter's like, I've sailed this lake my whole life. God's like, I made this lake. <laughs> Who are you going to trust? And isn't it true, the scars that we bear often is because we've been really foolish with where we've put our card. We put it in someone's like, you know what, I, I trust you. And you're like, why? Because I think I should. And then they come out and it's like they made all these Withdrawals from your account and in the end of it all you got nothing for it but pain you're like that was stupid now understand please hear me in this God's like I know what it takes to prove to you I'm everything you need and that's not just for the person still deciding on whether they want Jesus that's for the person who says they belong to him already it's like if I'm everything you need what are you chasing after where are you putting that card that you shouldn't you know what? That's my faith. I trust the church. The church is is a hospital where even the doctors are still getting well. Isn't that a cool thought? We're all growing. That's the beauty of it. But beloved, please hear me. The only thing you're going to find that's perfect is God and He'll never let you down. You'll never go, man, I shouldn't have done that. Every other place you'll have something. you go, hmm, that was risky. But God's not like Bedford or any of that, you know. I mean, it's like, look at, he's the sure thing. How do I know that? Because he already paid. There's the, dif- there's the difference. He already sacrificed when I didn't want him. When you didn't want him, you already sacrificed. So please hear me. By the time we get to the end of this chapter, remember, here's, the, here's how the whole thing plays out in a quick run through. Paul's like, look it, if I could have anything, man, I just really would love to see these people saved. I mean, God promised he's going to raise these people up. But his promise isn't the problem. They're opposers. Well, that's a problem. There are people who think that they're okay because they're just they can, their DNA chases to, to Abraham, but not their faith. He goes, that doesn't work. God's made really clear throughout Scripture. He's always looking for somebody that will trust Him. Because to be honest, you really can't love someone without trusting Him. Have you learned that? I mean, you can serve people. And you can, but sooner or later, if you're really going to open up your heart, there's got to be trust in there somewhere. And if you don't trust them, you're really never going to receive what God really wants you to. So look at all of this stuff where people are going, you know, and here's the games we still play. I go to church all the time. Some guy does something behind a wall or whatever, and you know, I just I'm part of this bloodline and we're like, you know, my dad's Billy Graham or whatever, and this, you know, I got all of these great things and this heritage, my bloodline or my attendance and my works, but it notice it's all you, 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 you. There's no you in Jesus, and that's you and it's you and it's you and it's you. God's like, but there's no trust in that. And God's like, I want to give you my love. I want to give you my peace. And you're like, I don't have time to receive that because I don't trust you enough because I'm too busy doing it myself. What well, part of that do you think would please God? So he rounds the chapter at the end by saying, look, it, from the beginning, it's always been what I want is your faith, what I want your trust because I want to dump my love into you. And he wants you to, that's consistent throughout all of scripture. And by the time you get to the end of the chapter, he's like, so if you trust in me, He'll never be ashamed of it. He'll never be put to shame. So here's my question to you as we pray. What about you? Is there anyone at all that you desire right now to be saved? Your heart's broken. I mean, I'm not going, well, wouldn't it be nice? Because then it wouldn't be so much of a jerk. But I'm talking about where your heart's really rent over it. You're still in that place where it can happen. And with that, are there promises that God has given you that right now you're still going, I just don't see how they're going to come to pass. And things like the the circumstances seem very contrary. Let me just tell you, he's faithful. And what he's looking for in a moment like this is these are opportunities for you to display your trust because the world starts to look when it doesn't make sense. You're like, you know what? I, I don't get it, but I'm going to trust you because one thing I do know is you're good. And I know that. Well, let me ask you. Tonight, You've sat here for an hour and listened and God has deposited into your account greater faith. Where are you going to spend it? And if you've not accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, I'm about to pray and I'd like you to join me. I'm not going to call you forward. I'm not going to shave your head and make yourself flowers in the airport. Uh, What I am going to invite you to do is to put that trust that's been deposited into your account as of this hour upon Jesus finished work at the cross, his resurrection, three days later. If you have trusted in him, I'm going to invite you to trust him more with me. Because we're going to take steps, and I don't even know what they are yet, but I know this. One day we're going to look back at these days and go, remember when there was just a handful of us? And by the way, just shouldn't even be said. I adore you guys, and you've got to know that. I couldn't wait to get back here and be with you guys. Please know, there's something we're going to look back and go, remember when this was us? And I'm not saying that because God says, you know, what we're going to do is, but he did say this. He's going to use this to touch the world. And you get to be a part of that. And I get to be a part of that. And it isn't like because any of us are special. Well, let me say it's because all of us are. Hey, if Jesus is willing to die for me, I'm as special as they get. You just happen to be as well. I'm his favorite. You just happen to be too. Will you pray with me? Lord, I want to thank you so much for this beautiful word. I want to thank you, Lord, that as we turn next week to chapter 10, the whole thing's about whether or not we're going to trust in you and confess with our mouth. Lord, it's pretty evident. It's very evident, Lord, that this whole thing is about your heart to show mercy and to show compassion. And whether that is that you raise people up or whether you harden their convictions or whether you show mercy, Lord, I know that everything is a temporary tool for a permanent result. And that permanent result is ultimately surrender to you, to surrender our faith, our trust upon you in such a way, Lord, that we really not only allow you to be our Savior, but also allow you to be the Lord of our lives, the reinventor of us, the the, the one who has right to completely reconstruct this new creation you're making us to be, that we are. So, Lord, we can't tell you, well, then don't touch this area of my life and still call you Lord. But Lord, I pray right now for believers in this room that there are areas that somehow seem like what we're saying is the world's for fun, but you're just for saving. But Lord, I pray that tonight you would just start showing us if there's anything in our hearts that need to be handed over to you so that, Lord, you could do what you want to do tonight. And that is to reign and draw us close and lavish us with love. Lord, I know that whatever we're holding on to is just handfuls of something that's nonsense, Compared to what you want to fill them with, which is you, so Lord, please, as believers tonight, please minister to our hearts and show us, Lord, that we could even give away, even if it be reluctantly, we can hand over to you, Lord, whatever it is that you show us, say lord it 's yours, because really what I want is just you and me, and for whatever camp Lord that's been tugging at us to try to make us to try to make it you, me and you and and something. Lord, just get it back to just us, you and me, Lord. Being in your Word, it's you and me. Being in prayer, it's you and me. Church is about you and me. My life is about you and me. Walking through the streets is about you and me. Lord, everything is about you and me. And thank you, Lord, that you don't fit into a pocket, you don't fit into a drawer. Lord, you don't shove into the closet. Lord, you're every part of it. The heaven of heavens can't contain you. And I, how could I possibly try to put you in a part of my life when the heaven of heavens can't contain you? So Lord, please tonight, for every one of us here, please, Lord, be Lord of all. And Lord, as I pray this prayer, if there be anyone in this room, you know who that would be if there be anyone that has never really said yes to the gift of Jesus. And they've gone to church, or maybe they haven't. Lord, we know that. Just going to church doesn't make a Christian. As much as going to McDonald's doesn't make us a hamburger. Lord, what we really want is is we want you. This is about our relationship with you. Please make us that. So here it is. Okay, I confess to you I'm a sinner. And that's kind of a no-brainer. And yet in that, Lord, you as a righteous judge must punish all wrongdoing. But you also are not only a, a just judge, but you're also a loving father. And so, out of your infinite love, you sent your Son Jesus the Christ to die on the cross for my sin so it could be paid for in in full. And in paid for in full, you died on that, Jesus, you died on that cross so it could be completely resolved. And just as your Scripture promised, you rose again on the third day. And so, Father, here you are. The adoption is open. And for that, we could say, Yes, you've paid our price. And we recognize that if that's really what you want to do is give us innocence for our guilt, adopt us, that we would be your children, cover us in your love, give us a future and a hope, and reinvent us to make us blessings to this world around us and each other. Well, then I say, yes. Be my guest to transform me. Be my guest guest to cleanse me. Be my guest to make me everything you want. I'm yours and I surrender. Here I am. I'm yours in Jesus' name. And if you agree that this prayer would be your prayer, I ask you to give a confident and resounding Amen.